she and I are working on how to do a podcast together and not like have me be the um, interview hog. I have a journalism background and I'm super vocal. So like we are building in the open. All you listeners can know that I'm trying to shut up. But just after this, I can show you how to mute other users on Zoom and then we can just use that as time Hi, everyone. We are here today with Sam. Can you pronounce your last name? I always look at it and I met you on LinkedIn and I don't even know how to say it. Yes, it's Keenly. It's a lot easier than it looks. Keenly. Okay. I, mine's harder than it looks. People <laughs> wreck it all the time. I'm Ashley Gattuso, one of your hosts of Marketing CTA. We have also Jess Goss and she is from where? Where are you? I'm from Adelaide in South Australia. All right, so we have a very global podcast for you. Um, we are talking with Sam today. Sam, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you are going to teach the listeners of Marketing CTA? Yeah, so as you mentioned, my name is Sam Keenly. I am a VP of Demand over at Refine Labs. And today we're going to be chatting through how to set your marketing goals, starting from revenue and working backwards. So getting off that MQL hamster wheel, as Chris likes to always say. Nice. Um, we have a few questions to go through before we jump right in to like how to reverse engineer to revenue. Mm -hmm. I know that um, we talk a lot about like who should be doing this and we could just generally throw it out and say marketers, but do you have any specific um, segments or niches or like roles uh, of who you think should be leading this within a company? Yeah, a lot of it is it's typically in the, the demand marketing function of a, an organization. So these are going to be the people that you're often hearing from some form of leadership or another. We need more leads now. And it's, you think, why? Why do we need more leads? Is it because we're low on pipeline? Are we low on our revenue targets? Like for whatever reason, it's always become volume is the only answer. We need more leads and everything will flow through our funnel, be the magic answer. But the reason why I like to think if we start from revenue instead of just the volume is that there are so many more levers today that we can pull as marketers to, to fit those or to hit those pipeline and revenue targets outside of volume. So I think once you get an understanding of all the different things that come into play, it's not just how do we get more leads, but how can we become smarter or more efficient with our current processes to get us closer to that number? And then if we need to get more leads, we can do that. But, you know, just 3Xing our lead volume isn't always the answer. So how would um, you know if the company revenue, like who decides who's going to come up with the company uh, revenue number and how do you know that what they've got is going to be realistic? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oftentimes, a lot of those revenue figures are coming from the C-suite leadership who either has a board to report to, has investors to report to, and, and they get their growth goals that they have to hit. So we need to hit 1 million, 10 million, 100 million, figure out whatever the number is that they have to scale. And then from there, they're working backwards and saying, okay, if we have to hit this number, this much is responsible from marketing, this much is responsible from sales, this much from partnerships. And so then it, that number gets to the CMO, the VP of marketing, whoever that is, and they work it back in their funnel. They're like, okay, well, if I have to hit a million dollars in revenue, here's our funnel. We have to hit 100,000 100, leads this month in order to hit that goal. And they then give that down to the demand marketer or the performance marketer, whoever's responsible for driving that engine. 
And they're just said, okay, here's your goal for the year. Go hit it. It's like, well, where did this number just come from? I know that like we started with revenue, but by the time that it passes through the hands of the different levels of the hierarchy, that's where often those decisions are made. And it's not always by the people that see the day-to-day -day or understand the small intricacies that can come into play to reach those goals. So um, that's why I like to let people say, you know, empower yourself to go and have those conversations earlier on. And if it's, you know, it's too late, it's July, you already have your 2021 goal, hopefully by now, but for 2022, you can start to get ahead of that and say, if we think about what our, our revenue target is, I'd like to be part of that conversation and educate you on some of the different things that we can do to hit those goals. And it's, it's a great way to get to know your leadership better. They have more trust in your program if you're focused on revenue, because oftentimes a lot of people think of marketers as they get you the lead, they hand it off to sales, they don't care what happens. But your leadership, I can guarantee you, they care about the revenue. So the more that you're able to speak their language and want to help them hit those goals, that's going to instill more trust and confidence in what you do. So Jess and I had like a, a laugh about this. Um, I think when we were talking about approaching this topic, because she said, yeah, I think I used a formula a long time ago and I just discovered that I needed a million leads. Like that must be what I needed to hit the goals. So yeah. um, I'd love for you to talk a bit about how important it is to optimize the, the channels that like when you talk about splitting the funnel that are working better so that we're talking about quality leads versus email addresses of anyone and everyone who exists in the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of that comes down to the tactical. So when you think of let's go create this, this lead gen wheel that's going to spit out all of our, our leads that we need to hit our revenue targets is Facebook, LinkedIn, these other places are adapting to this to create revenue for themselves. And they say, okay, let's make it as easy as possible for people to fill out a form, which is in B2B world, a lead. Someone fills out a form, they must be interested, right? We'll have that conversation later on. Those lead gens that Facebook and LinkedIn makes it very easy to get the quantity on once you do start to look at how do those progress through your sales cycle and funnel into Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever it is that you may use. You can see that Facebook may have gotten you 100 leads for $10 each, which looks great on paper, but they might convert it usually less than 1%. So if you get 100 leads and maybe 10 of those turn into opportunities and only one sells, you have one closed one opportunity from that channel that started really wide but got narrow quick. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at a channel that's more like organic or direct where they've already been familiar with your brand at some point. They remembered who you were through, whether it was education, awareness, you built trust with them. They came back when they were ready to get in the market. So you might find that you only have 50 leads that come in there each month, but of those 30 make it to the opportunity and then 10 of those close. So you start with a more narrow top of funnel, but it's wider at the bottom. So that's where it's really interesting to look at it from a channel by channel basis and see quantity is not always the answer, but the quality as you move down the funnel, not everything converts at the same rate across the channels. And I think that's the main takeaway is once you start to identify that channel by channel where not all leads are created equal, um, that's a big thing that unlocks where should we be focusing our time, our effort, our resources as we do spend and scale out the model in order to hit our goals. Awesome. Any other questions, Jess, before we start diving into how to like reverse engineer towards revenue? No, I, th I think I'll wait. I think maybe we'll get into the weeds a bit more and then um, we can go questions from there. 
All right, so we are recording this um, to be seen as a video or listened to. So right now, Sam is about to like screen share and show us visually how he does something. So if you wanna find that, you're gonna have to go and um, we'll give you the link to go find that on YouTube. But um, listen carefully and always know this resource will be available for you. I'm super excited. I love watching how people work. Well, all right, let me grab this and let me know, are you all able to see this beautiful Google sheet? Man, that's pretty. I know, I do not pride myself on my design skills. That's why I stay in the numbers. <laughs> so um, what I've pulled together for us today is just, it's an example model at a high level of some of the core items that I focus on when I work with clients to work backwards from the revenue target and figure out what do we need to do from a marketing standpoint in order to hit those goals. So um, for the purpose of this exercise, we're going to make some just broad assumptions, you know, Variable marketing spend on a monthly basis is about $50,000 and it's bringing in $45,000 in total ARR for the company. So what we would say to get these numbers is let's look at your historical data and get some averages that we can use as our benchmark. So I usually like to look at about 12 months because that's going to account for seasonality, sales cycles, all the other different things that come into play. And then that gives you a good baseline. So you know what your different metrics are as they move through the funnel. So you can look at what's your total monthly marketing spend. And then you can plug in averages. And the averages that we usually like to look for are top of funnel, high intent um, hand raisers. So these are going to be things like the demo requests that come in or people that sign up for your product. The mid funnel is the opportunities created. So of those people that submitted the demo request, how many of those turn into opportunities are qualified by sales? And then opportunities one on average, how many opportunities are marked closed one revenue generating for the sales teams. And then I like to do a lot of the in-between calculations and different items. So as you work through the model and start to layer in different variables, you can see how they impact one another. So. The first one is cost per demo. So that's going to be what's your average monthly spend, divide that by the average number of demo requests or signups that you get. So you can get an understanding of what do we usually spend to get someone who wants to come into us and potentially become a customer. The next one is the demo to opportunity rate. So how many demo requests, what's the conversion rate for those that do go on to become a sales qualified opportunity? And then the next one is the cost per opportunity. So similar to demo request, it should be a higher number as there are fewer opportunities than demo requests, monthly spend divided by opportunities. Um, and then the win rate. So of the opportunities that are created, how many go on to become closed one? So, so it looks like you're just trying to get the lay of the land um, to begin with. So just trying to figure out uh, what all the different conversion rates are um, going through. Um, is that, that about right? Yeah, exactly. Because what we often find is that we overperform in some areas and underperform in others. So the areas that we're underperforming or can perform or do better in, which yes, that's the opposite of underperforming. Good job, Sam. Um, those are usually some of the biggest levers that we can pull outside of putting more volume in. So how do we attack those areas in order to make things more efficient where it's not just volume is always the answer, but what are different processes that we can put in place in between those, the, the demo to closed one opportunities to make us more efficient with our marketing. So, um, in here, what you'll see is based on this 
12 month average. We have um, all of the, the demo through opportunity volume. And then what's the total ARR or revenue that's been generated? So ARR is just your annual recurring revenue. It's pretty common for a lot of B2B SaaS organizations, but for anyone else that's not in the B2B SaaS world, we love our acronyms. Just think of this as how much revenue is generated at the end of the day from the opportunities that you're creating. And so we like to look at what's the total revenue that's been created from this. And then a, a couple other metrics that we like to look at are CAC, which is customer acquisition cost. So of the amount that you spent relative to how many opportunities were won, what was the customer acquisition cost? And then what's called a CAC payback period. So this one is if you had to map it out by how much did it cost to bring on that customer relative to how much you're going to be getting from them in revenue, like how many months would that take to get recoup that revenue until you break even? And the reason why this one is important is that a lot of organizations work on annual contracts. And so B2B SaaS organizations, what's an interesting thing is if you're on an annual contract or if you're in growth mode, you usually want to be aiming for a nine to 12 month payback period. So if you're over 12 months and you have a lot of um, customers churn after year one, you're not going to recoup that revenue back from them. And then you end up becoming net zero on, on all of that. So you actually, it's a negative investment. And so that's one thing that, um, you just want to keep an eye on. And I just wanted to say, this is what's going to be a good gauge in figuring out as we pull the different levers, if we're over or under that number, that's what's going to help us figure out, is this the right move, the right lever that we should be pulling? Is it creating things that are going to be way too unrealistic because it's too good to be true? Or is it not making an impact at all in the sense that it's just not going to help us and maybe volume is the answer? Mm, that um, that 12 month period, it's, it's almost as if it's like a 12 month free trial at that yeah. point like you basically let them self-serve their way into a year of your product mm -hmm. yeah if you, if you don't have something that is quality enough or a good experience enough to renew yes and that's an entirely different conversation <laughs> customer success highly recommend yes. my colleague megan bowen speak to that one who could do it way better than i can um so wanted to just go over that at a high level so we understand the baseline before we get into what are all the different levers that come into play. So first lever that most people typically think of is I move over to a new sheet that shows spend. So what happens if we just say, we as a company have a goal now where we need to generate $100,000 in annual recurring revenue. We were at $45,000 previously. How much money do we need to put in at the top of the funnel in order to hit the, the revenue target. So if before we were at $50,000 and that generated $45,000, we would need to put in $111,000 in order to get to 100. So this is using the same exact um, funnel conversion numbers in terms of cost per demo, demo to operate, um, opportunity win rate. And it's really just saying, if all we did was change the variable of spend, how much do we need in order to achieve our revenue target? So. This is similar to, let's put more volume into the top of the funnel. How do we do it? Um, yes, it will get you there. Is it the most efficient way? Probably not. So the next lever that I like to get into is the demo to operate. And so this is a really interesting one that I think many of us marketers haven't been empowered to or haven't done a lot with until recently, but this is people who have raised their hand. They want to learn more about your product or have already signed up for the free version of your product. 
but they're sitting in between that and becoming an opportunity with your sales team. So how do we improve this number overall? So in the model where we exampled here, if all we did was change the demo to opportunity rate to get to $100,000 in revenue, we're going to need a 56% demo to operate where our benchmark was 25%. So that would probably put this in the realm of we need to do some drastic changes. It's not quite realistic. A good benchmark here is typically 33% for a lot of B2B SaaS organizations. So one out of every three demo requests turns into an opportunity. That's what we see on average. Um, so 25 to 33%, reasonable. 25% to 56% might be a little bit of a stretch. So as we continue to move on, it's, it's thinking, okay, what are some of the other variables then outside of the demo to operate that we can do in order to hit the revenue goal? That's where we look at win rate. So this is of all the opportunities created, given to sales, how many, what percentage of those do we need to win in order to hit this new revenue target? This one is probably one of the harder ones to control as a marketer, because at this point you've done your job in terms of generating a quality lead that gets to sales. And at this point, it's the sales process, it's price, it's integrations, it's everything else that the sales team is there to really help the client or the customer figure out can we meet your needs? So in order to hit this $100,000 model, we would have to jump from 20% to 45% win rate, which again, I don't think this one is, is super realistic. A benchmark here in B2B SaaS is usually closer to, to 25 to 30%. So I don't think we'd be able to, to quite get there. Um, so that's that along with this next one. And I promise I'll get to the, the grand finale at the end where it will all click. Um, I like to tease it out so everyone can start to see like, man, if we do these one by one, it's really hard. So the final variable is the ACV or the average contract value. And again, this one's really hard to control as a marketer because at this point, it's it depends on your product, your company's pricing strategy overall. So we would have to more than double our average ACV from $15,000 to $33,000. So unless you go from mid-market to super enterprise and keep the same conversion rates and the same volume up top, not realistic. Um, it's really hard to do this. So the final one that I get into is we have all these levers that we just went through one by one. What happens if we combine and take a little bit of each of them and put them into the realm of reality in order to do that? So going back to what we saw previously, $50,000 per month in media spend generates $45,000 in ARR. What we can do with each of the variables is what we'd say is if we bump up our media spend just $11,000 from $50,000 to $61,000 per month, that in tandem with increasing our demo to opportunity rate, if we bump that from 25% to 33%, then that's going to help us get to a revenue number. And one of the easiest ways to increase your demo to opportunity rate is to make it easier to do business with your company. So the typical reasons that we see a lot of people fall off in between the demo to opportunity is you get bad information from them. They didn't fill out their real email or their phone number. Um, best of luck on that. Kidding. There's different things that you can do through HubSpot forms and others where you can require a work email or you can just prompt them for, you know, what is your work email address? What's a good phone number to reach you? Or the other one is typically it's they're really interested in learning more right now. They have five minutes in between meetings where they remembered your products. They want to go learn more. They went and filled out the form and then they get the, thanks for reaching out. We'll get back to you in 48 to 72 hours to learn more, which in today's world, 
good luck with that. We want instant gratification. We need to be helped right this moment. So that's where tools like Chili Piper come into play because what happens with them is that you're able to have the requester submit a, a time that says, I would like to be contacted on this date at this time. And then it schedules it automatically for them. It's in their calendar. They pick the time. They are a lot more likely to show up for that and want to have the conversation than getting a cold call 48 to 72 hours later from an SDR. Um, it just makes for an easier handoff where they're, they're anticipating that call. So simple tools like that definitely make it easier to improve this metric right here. And that's one of the, the easier lists that we see with a lot of our clients is how do we make it just, as we said, as easy as possible for us to get in touch with them at a time that's convenient for the buyer, because it's shifted the power from sellers, cold call prospect, all that into people and who, you know, 10 years ago, who didn't love picking up a cold call and, and just talking sales. Nowadays, I get a call on my cell phone because someone got my info from Zoom info and I'm mad. I'm like, this is my personal number. Do not call me, like take me off your list. I'm not even ready to hear them out because I didn't want to be solicited to. I don't know how they got my number, but it's much more of a, a change in dynamic where the buyer has a lot of the power versus the seller. There's so many options that they can go to. So make it as easy as possible for them to work with you when they want to work with you. I, I have an interjection question that could yeah. send us spiraling. So That's we right. might want to keep it tight um, and just say no, Ashley, or yes, or whatever. But um, on-demand demos, mm -hmm. where do you stand on those? Um, and that could get deep because when I think of where I stand, I'm like, well, it matters what the product is and it matters what you need to know, blah, blah. But um, have you ever seen them successful or are you highly against them? Like just kind of your stance. Well, do you want the typical marketer answer of it depends or? Um, I, I would love an experience answer <laughs> if you've seen them either work or not work. Cause that could be a complete, like that could be a topic is how to, how to execute a successful on-demand mm -hmm. uh, demo, but just kind of right now your hot take. Yeah. So my take on that is putting on-demand up on-demand demo up ungated that people see your product. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything crazy expense, extensive. It can be five minutes to 20 minutes, high level. What's your product do? What are the different features? Because the value of the demo and the reason that a lot of people reach out is because they want to know what it can do for them relative to their specific use case, whether that's the industry that they're in, the pain that they're trying to solve. So the on-demand demo is a great way for them to get a taste of what it can do. But a lot of the value and the reason behind why people want to have a live demo is because they want to get that one-to-one -one connection to the product. So that's why I say we, on the demo page for some of my clients, we have a short demo teaser on there where they can watch it, but we still have the form on there. Like, do you want to have your demo with us sign up here? So if they're at that stage, it's, there's no reason to hold back on that information, let them consume it. But I'd, don't think that that would hold them from wanting to learn more. Or if they opt out and see after 15 minutes of self-serve demo that it's not gonna be a fit for them, that, that helps your sales team and making them as efficient as possible with their time and, and kind of pre-DQ some of those opportunities that wouldn't have made it anyway. All right, love it. Yeah, All right. good question. Yeah, great, nice tangent, huh? Okay. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, the third variable that we would get into here, so we've already increased the media spend. We've already increased the demo to opportunity rate. The next one would be the win rate. What can we do with the sales team here? So if you're currently at a 20% win rate, 
that's bumped up to 25%, which is on the low end of what we would expect of a 25 to 30% benchmark. And then assuming that your marketing is really good, you are taking a better approach to your targeting, getting relevant people, doing a lot of education and awareness. And also you can go a little bit up market or as you figure out who is your ideal buyer, if it's mid-market enterprise, you can usually impact um, getting the average ACV up a little bit higher by targeting some of those companies are a little bit on your, your stretch side, or if they're not being, they're not in the purchase path of, I want the cheapest product possible, but I want the best product possible for us. $1,500 is not a big deal to them at the end of the day. Um, what you'll often see is if you have a good product, price isn't as big of an issue as you think. If it's not something that's very commoditized, you know, we have the same features as everyone else. We're going to give you poor level of customer support. If you have a good product, good customer experience, I promise you that you can win more deals than you think. And a lot of that comes through in the sales process and having a sales team that's very um, motivated to create those relationships earlier on and help them create that one-to-one, -one, here's our product, here's how it can help you and letting them see that this is what it would be like to work with us. You know, it's your first impression. So if you're having your sales team set a good impression there, that's what they're, they're expecting the value will be. So price becomes less of a factor in that sense. So all of that to said, um, the way that this all worked out is we can get to that $100,000 goal by combining all these different variables, which in the video you'll see are in green. And not only does it make us much more doable in that it's not one variable that affects everything. It's not just volume. It's not just conversion rates, but it's everything. Um, less money than you need you really only end up needing 13 more demo requests per month. So that's not even 25% more um, volume up top, but the efficiencies of what you've worked in not only have led to you hitting that revenue target um, without doubling everything, but you're also getting uh, your marketing spend payback, CAC payback period, that one's a mouthful. You're getting that one down to, in this example, 7.3 months, which is really good. That's definitely a little bit of a stretch, but it shows you that's how much more efficient you're being. So whereas before it would have taken you over a year to recoup the revenue from that customer, now it only takes you seven months. So that's five months of revenue you're getting, even if they leave after one year. So the economics of it work better. It's easier on your CFO when he sees that you're not asking for two to three times the media budget per month to get those lead demo um, numbers. And it also forces you to work much more closely with your sales team, your sales ops team, your customer experience, and just create a better overall experience for your customer. Because instead of working in your traditional silos one by one, it forces you to go and partner with these different groups in order to hit these goals. Nice. Go ahead. Yes. It seems as though um, you could probably adjust the levers to different degrees depending on where you can probably have the most improvements exactly. uh, for your individual business is do you kind of go a bit more on, on gut feel of where you think you can move the dial the most to try and work out what percentage they should be obviously not just putting it all on sales to just win more um or, or just trying to put a lot more money in in the top to try and get more at the end but um yeah how, how do you try and kind of come up with where you can get the most improvement yeah, that's a good question. And so it um, starts with revenue at the end of the day. So if we know we need to hit this $100,000, what I would do, and this is a model, it's, it's very much interactive. It has the formulas in it. So we'll share this with everyone after the call. They can go in and access, plug in their numbers. 
but they can go and see, you know, if you don't think your sales team can get to 25%, let's say that we think they're going to stick at the 20% win rate. You can go and update that number and you'll see now, okay, that puts us down to $80,000. So where can we recoup that difference there? Is it we update the media spend to $65,000 instead of 61? And we say, okay, well, that's only going to get us up to $84,000. So you can kind of pick and choose and play. But the one thing that will be helpful is probably the benchmarks that we have over on the side. So these are what we usually see. And again, benchmarks are an average of everyone in an industry. So a benchmark is you can be higher than it. Shouldn't be, I mean, you'll be lower than it, but you definitely want to aim to have the average part, but you can, you can definitely go on the higher side if you really get your processes tight. So we do have clients where through tools like Chili Piper, having more efficient processes, we've been able to get the demo to operate up to 45%. So let's see what happens if we update that from 33% to 45. Okay, well, that's a big jump. So that now gets our revenue number to 115. So if we only need $100,000, let's bring the media spend back down per month and see what that does for us. 98. So with $5,000 more per month, if you're able to get more efficient between the demo to operate, that's why I like these types of models where you can go and play with each variable and see, you know, is our sales team not doing as well? Do we have the money to invest in a tech stack? Or is this going to be a complete brute force play where we just have to pour money in until we can get some more of these resources to help us reach the goals? So here's an interesting question. I know you, you do this for clients, right? <laughs> yes. Right. So any team I've ever joined, when I've started asking these like conversion rate questions has been kind of, you know, we're not too sure, or we have dirty data, so we can't really evaluate that. What, what have you seen happen, experiences like that, or how have you found numbers when numbers weren't readily available or were super muddy? Yeah, um, you're not alone in there, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it then is let's clean up our data or get it to a point where it's okay to report on. And we're going to start with our historicals today. So we've also had clients where we build it as we go. They bring us on to help launch their demand gen. So we'll say we're going to aim for 33% demo to operate. Month one, we might find that we're at 20%. Month two, we might find we're at 50%. Okay. Well, we know that we haven't found an average yet if we're ranging that much. So we say, this is what we're aiming for. This is going to be good for us, but we're going to need three months, six months, 12 months to figure out what our true baseline is because it is going to be specific to your company over time. But we can use those benchmarks as a guiding point to say, okay, let's at least aim for this. And then we can make adjustments in that area if we see that we're underperforming or overperforming. So if you're above 33% consistently as you're building out, we don't need to invest in tools like Chili Piper quite yet if we're seeing we have really low close rates or anything else. So using that to figure out, okay, where do we want to spend our time and resources to make this process better? Um, you can use your own data in that sense, but I would definitely say wait at least two to three months before you start using your own and until then probably lean on some more industry benchmarks for guidance and just what you should be aiming for at a high level. Okay. And so it gets a little complicated, right? When you've got like a long sales cycle, mm -hmm. right? So my assumption is that that's a that's a whole nother spreadsheet. Yes. That's like in the SAM vault of like what else you would build as you started tracking this as a company, if, mm -hmm. if this is not already being tracked, right? Yeah. 
Excellent. I think if, if you've got a really long sales cycle as well, um, management are going to be able to want to see that what it is that you're doing is going to be able to hit those numbers. So as far as sort of leading indicators to get there, which I think is probably why the MQL kind of came into play in the first place, because that was kind of that, that touch point at the start. And, you know, if we've got more of those, then ideally would get more more sales at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And because that happens right at the beginning, you've kind of got that pipeline to be able to figure out what's going to happen later. Whereas if if everything sort of moved and, you know, we're working back from, from revenue, um, my experience is they're probably going to want to have something so that they're a bit more confident that what marketing is doing is going to be working. So um, would you look at having the MQL still as an indicator at all or would you... Um, just move away from that entirely. Man, talk about a divisive question right there. <laughs> um, some people are going to love me. Some people are going to hate me. You put me on the spot. Um, it comes down to the definition of MQL, and that's a conversation in itself. For the purposes of us here, when I talk about an MQL or a lead, it's the high intent. Like, I want to learn about your product. I've signed up for something. It's not this intent-based, I visited enough pages, like we're going after people that have actively said, you know, I want to talk to your sales team or learn more about your product. So for the longer sales cycles, um, we can absolutely use that metric. That is a good indicator of, um, are we pulling in people at the quantity that we need to in order to hit our pipeline and revenue targets? But some of the other things that I would look at um, even before that MQL would be um, like, are you driving more new users to your website? Are you getting more people to your high intent pages? So are they hitting your demo page? Are they hitting your pricing page? Because that's also indicative of you have a product that they are interested in learning in. And then if you're on the, you know, the performance marketing side, digital marketing side, you can look at some things that indicate that you're reaching the right audience with a relevant message or the right targeting. So as a result of this, you should see your cost per clicks decreasing over time and your click-through rates increasing over time because relevancy, right people, leads to more people being interested. So say you have a six-month sales cycle. I'll probably say in months one through three, focus on those demos, MQLs, and then some of those leading indicators like how is the on-page behavior look and then your performance marketing stats. Um, and then as they move into opportunities and pipeline. So months three to six or so, you should start to see your MQL or demo volume increasing month over month. And then also just the opportunities increase month over month, as well as you're pulling in those quality people who are your right ICP and everything else. And then um, as a result of that, around months six or so is when you'll see the closed one revenue take place. So that's where it is. You kind of have to stagnate and say, okay, if I spend $100,000 in January, we know that we won't hit this revenue number until July. So mapping out for your leadership, okay, you know, the months one through three, these are the KPIs that I'm going to expect to see. Months four through six, those opportunities are going to be created. We'll start to see the pipeline increase. We'll start to see more stage two, stage three, stage four opportunities as they get closer to signing. And then once you do hit the month six, seven, eight, you should start to see the higher win rates as a result of, you know, the new philosophy that you're running. And then that's when your customer acquisition costs and your ad cap payback periods will start to decrease as more of those um, customers do sign on with you. So um, there's definitely a, a combination of different metrics that can come into play. And, um, you know, it'll, it'll vary a little bit by each client. But if anyone is, is ever curious, definitely 
feel free to, to reach out to me and I'm, I'm happy to, to nerd out on, on any of this with you. So a new topic that fascinates me, um, and it's probably because our team just uh, introduced Mixpanel to, okay. to the uh, software suite. So we are now able to look at adoption rates of certain mm -hmm. features and um, looking more at what a new trial, because I have a lot of self-service stuff going on, but also like a new customer for some of our higher end um, products, what they are doing in the first couple of months as leading indicators of good quality fit and where mm -hmm. those particular leads, like what channel did they come through? Was it different? And kind of trying to get at like beyond what, what makes someone who will convert, but what makes someone who will love right mm -hmm. like where, where do, what intersection are they hanging out at and how can we get them here and so this leads up to a question which is have you danced around in that zone or thought through what product and I think this is especially important for like product-led growth right the brands that are using like a freemium mm -hmm. to get people in are you looking at activity after convert to user uh, to indicate certain um, levers that you should be adjusting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's different ones with each client. It's, you know, it's activation rate. So do they need to go and after they sign up, like have they completed the email process to get them into the platform or how many hours have they spent in the platform or have they set up this report or created an account. I mean, there's different things that you can look into. And then if you are using like HubSpot, for example, you can go back to like the original source data and then see, start to see correlations, you know, did more of these that reach stage activation or stage processing, you know, whatever those may be, you can start to then see what channels are those mapping back to. And was it a result of organic direct, which is, you know, it's good brand recognition. If you ran a paid campaign, was it a result of the targeting that you used, the messaging that you used, um, any number of those types of factors? Was it a partner campaign or a referral where you worked with a third party organization who serves best practices in the spaces that you want to reach? And then, yeah, it kind of goes back to the, the whole split the funnel thing that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. on, where you can compare those and identify, okay, yes, we can get a bunch of people to, to sign up for our product from this channel, but they aren't using it. So it's like, they're interested, but they're not going to be those people that love the product at the end of the day. So since those are going to be the ones who stay with us over time, become our champions, let's focus more on that because even though we can get the volume over here, they're not showing up at the bottom where we want them to be over the long run for us, which is what's going to help us grow over time. So a lot of it is what's the long game? How do we get there? Cool. Yeah. Do you have any other follow-up questions? I'm loving that you are providing this, uh, this Google sheet that people can actually make a copy of and start yeah. plugging their numbers into. Thank you so much for putting yeah. that together. I know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. So um, definitely feel free to rip it apart and say there's a better way of doing this. I <laughs> would love that because it'll make my job easier as well, selfishly. <laughs> so if anyone out there has a better way of doing this, please, please share me. Um, I would love to hear it and, and chat through that with you. <laughs> So Sam, do you have any last thoughts um, for the people who have listened to this, have gotten this far in, in the experience and will be actually going and downloading or grabbing that spreadsheet and using it in their business? Like what, what would you tell them? 
I'll just plug away. I mean, there's a lot more at your disposal that you can do as a marketer than you realize. So having something like this to be able to visualize that, I think helps. So if you have questions or if you think there's areas where you've seen improvement by doing specific tactics, like I would love to hear that. I'm sure you both love to hear that. And then we can share it with, with a larger group. And um, I think that this is the time when it's, you know, attributions being pulled back. Marketers have to become smarter and seeing the big picture and not just that's focused one on this one platform to, you know, hit all of our goals. So um, using tools like this, I think it not only, helps you see that, but it also creates more credibility with your leadership team because they see that you're focusing on revenue at the end of the day, which is what they care about. So um, yeah, we'd love to hear about any success stories of how people have already done this or if this is helpful for them. And, and if there's anything that I can do to, to help or share other stories, I'm more than happy to, as you can tell, I'm quite long-winded. I don't know too many people who aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I get mine from no, my father. <laughs> I know it's definitely it looks like a really great tool um and yeah lots of formulas and the the data scientist in me is very excited to get stuck into it love it excellent well thank you so much for joining us today on the very first episode of marketing cta thank you it's been fun awesome see y'all next time